Welcome to season two of the Black Girl Mixtape Podcast. I know you did not know that season one ended because it ended so abruptly, but hey, we're here. Season two, episode one, special guest, Dr. Treya Allen, currently serves as a senior academic advisor at the University of Arizona. Her scholarship centers elevating black scholars and families through culturally relevant ways of knowing, both ancestral and generational. You are in for a treat because we're going to talk about black people in education. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girl Mixtape Podcast. My name is Ebony Janice. I am the founder of Black Girl Mixtape, which is a multi-platform lecture series that I created with the intention to celebrate and center the voices of Black women, particularly with an emphasis on the intellectual authority of Black women. And today I have a very special guest um, who I have had the opportunity to... Social media is a wonderful thing. I, I've said that before, but I need to say that. I need to say that social media is a wonderful thing because um, while there are many trolls and you get to see the worst of the worst as a result of what social media provides us, there's also this brilliant connection to our people, you know, to the people that we just would never have access to if it wasn't for this great invention. And so um, today I'm with, is it Dr. Dr. It is. Trey Allen, excuse me. It is. So I'm with the good doctor, and we are going to be talking about all the things um, that Black Girl Mixtape loves to talk about, which just in general is decolonization. But I'm going to let Trey introduce herself and her topic, and we'll get right into it. Absolutely. Hello, good, brilliant minds. My name is Dr. Tria Allen. I am currently in Arizona. Um, really, my, my scholarship is about decolonizing education. And in my practices, in my research, I center Black families, Black children, and using research methods and just ways of knowing that it's autochthonous, which simply means we grew this, we've been doing this, reuse this. Um, that have been found in both generational and ancestral Black culture, African culture, and then African diaspora culture as well. So uh, in doing this work, uh, what I found as an educator, first in K-12 and then now in higher ed, is that a lot of the research is trash, and a lot of the research tells a story that really does not center us as a people, wherever that may be. So whether it's in the Caribbean, whether it's in Africa, whether it's in France, it does not center us in a way that our story comes forth. And really what it does is that it makes, it makes um, what I want to say, someone else is making sense of our story and getting it completely wrong. Um, and so that's, that's really my work. Yeah, I, I, so I love all of this, of course. And just the very last thing that you said, as a matter of fact, um, that's so much of the conversation that I feel that I have been having, but that I want to have more and that I think is important for us to focus on more about how even the research isn't actually telling the whole story. And um, who is it? Uh, yeah, Toni Morrison actually talks about this 
about you know sites of memory sites of memory how how you can hear the how you can even read books from um the ancestors um these slave narratives and so but the slave narratives that it might be this this particular slave telling the story but there's an intention and you have to consider the intention by which they're telling the story because they're either trying to one prove to white people like like that this human experience like that we're having a human experience mm -hmm. and or you know convince them as a result of that to set us free so this might be the story i'm doing quote fingers for you know the <laughs> listener this yeah. might be the story but this isn't actually the story so what you just said at the end of that which is in everything you know really that that just was a summation of your introduction ultimately you said we do this we've been doing this we use this and and just talking about that ancestral um um work and so I wish that you would kind of talk about that a little bit more. What is the specific this that we have always been doing? And what is it that we need to, um, what are some specifics that, um, that we need to tap back into it? Because I know your emphasis is on Black parent engagement. So what does that Absolutely. look like that this? Um, so I guess maybe I should tell the story of just a grad program. Okay. Um, I was in K-12 education as a high, high school counselor or just, you know, a guidance counselor with a focus on career and college readiness. And I got tired of teachers that I was working with saying things like, black parents aren't involved. They're not engaged. And I'm like, yeah, they, they are. But it just doesn't look like what, um, you know, your, your U.S. school system says parent education, I mean, excuse me, parent engagement should look like. Mm -hmm. So then I start thinking, okay, well, if we're talking about you want parents to come into schools, I can teach black parents how to do that. And so really I was, you know, shopping around my dissertation ideas to a professor. Um, and he was like, oh, there, homegirl. Y'all have been doing this. You've been doing this. You've been engaged in er education. Um, parents have been educating their kids well before they get into a schooling system. And that's really, that is a huge difference, right? Because there's education on one hand and then there's schooling on the other hand. And mm -hmm. these two are very different for Black people, Black communities. So when my counterparts who just happen to be white middle-class women and white men who were working in education start saying things like black parents are not involved what they're really saying is black parents are not engaged or involved in ways that we understand mm -hmm. in ways that we can make meaning from and once i clicked that um one, once it clicked for me like wait a minute we've been doing this we we have been doing this this is nothing new um i start actually going back looking into slave narratives even african oral traditions about the ways that we engage in education, the ways that we engage in our uh, children's lives. Um, I think of even the ways that you're making your nephews um, run to the football field, yeah. really taking ownership of if you're going to be a part of this, you are responsible for your hustle. Like mm -hmm. we're not waiting for a program to develop your body so that you can do this sport um, or even the ways that you engage with the, um, Peanut is what I call him in my head, but the baby, uh-huh, 
And when you're asking him questions like, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And so what I'm noticing is a lot of black parents are having these discussions around, well, tell me what that means for you. Mm. And what they're doing is they are actually laying the foundations for what we call in higher ed critical thinking. Wow. Mm-hmm. We're, we're laying the foundations for them to once take ownership for their own education. And by education, I mean the full development, both psychologically, physically, socially of black children in such a way that when you get into these systems, these schooling systems, which are based in socializing kids, um, and if we just want to be honest, it's socializing them for a national identity. Mm-hmm. When you get into these systems, you have tools. So whether that system is schooling, whether it's the workforce, whether it's just making meaning of social interactions, black parents have been engaging in this type of education with their kids long before we had a schooling system. Mm-hmm. So let's not play ourselves. The schooling system is not that old. Come on, Webster. Come on, Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that old, right? That's so good. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just thinking about when you said the words, um, you realize that um your counterparts that happen to be white didn't they didn't have the capacity to see um that black parents have been engaged in ways that they in ways that they understand. But I also want to add, and I'm certain that this is something that you would acknowledge is, is true as well, and or willing to acknowledge. So not just in ways that they can understand, but also in ways that they're willing to acknowledge because that's a part of, you know, co- colonization sets this standard and, it, yep. and it's not even, it's not even a high bar actually. It's just the no. standard. I'm so happy you said that because it is not. Yeah. Even the bar is trash. Yeah. Even the bar is trash. So they set this standard, and then anything that isn't in within that isn't considered engagement, or isn't isn't considered um, credible, or isn't considered you know um, like a, a proper you know methodology. And so mm-hmm. I I appreciate that. I just wanted to highlight that because. When you when you think about you know what they're what they're capable of what they're able to understand, also there are some things that isn't there's the intentional non you know recognition of these certain behaviors is that so yeah that's so good I I I also would love to hear your um you go a little bit more in on socializing for a national identity mm-hmm. um and and. So speak to that a little bit, you know, what that means a bit more. And then, and then what would the alternative to that be? What is the actual identity that Black parents um, either are attempting to um, instill in their children and or that we should be having some conversations around what is this identity that we're really trying to instill into our children? Absolutely. Um, So when we actually think about the education system, the education system in the United States, so come on history scholars, actually started off with we just became a new country, we Mm -hmm. were trying to combine all all, what whiteness really means, right? So you Mm -hmm. have foreign white people who are from Finland and all manners of European countries who are here in America, but then you also had the American Revolution that had just ended and we're needing a collective 
national identity. It's so good, true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is we end up with um, a couple of scholars who come out. So uh, Webster, so Webster Dictionary, is actually one who comes out with the primer. And in the primer, we have things like the preamble of the Constitution. We have um, what it means to be American, the Pledge of Allegiance, all within a book that is also meant to help students learn how to read or help children learn how to read. Now, a uh, small caveat, not all children, not black and brown babies, just the white ones. And we want to create, we, you know, the, the impetus for this is to create a national identity so that we can now have this new American identity because we're trying to protect the land we just won coming out of the American Revolution. Right. So then um, a little bit later on, Jefferson comes in, uh, Thomas Jefferson, um, good old Mr. Notes on the state of Virginia, who really um, comes in and says, oh, this is what a national schooling model should look like. Um, Again, not for all kids, just the white ones. Um, And so we're really trying to maintain and develop an identity and then maintain an identity for the purpose of saving a country, a new country that we can all rally behind. Now, the really important part here is who gets excluded in that. Mm -hmm. Now, it does not matter that my ancestors and and your ancestors are building this country Mm -hmm. at the time. They're completely excluded. And that's because we have things like Blumenbach and Carl von Linnaeus and their hierarchy Mm -hmm. of of racial identity based on skin tone. So I I don't want to go like completely academic, but I do want to let people know that same rhetoric about around white supremacy is then found in national documents, such as notes on the state of Virginia. Uh Um, Thomas Jefferson has a whole section in there about the lack of intellect um, even the underpinnings of the strong black woman syndrome that are mm-hmm. tied to the ability, you know, tied to kind of like rationalizing why black bodies can be worked so hard, essentially. Yeah. So, so that, I just, no, and I, and I actually want to stick a pin in that because I feel like that's important. It's important. We can't talk about what we're doing in 2018 in, in education if we don't deal with the fact that this entire model that still so much of that still exists yep. in our school systems today was what is the intention? Like, why does Jefferson have to stop while he's writing this to say, yep. oh, but let's talk about these black people, right? Absolutely. There is an intentionality in, intentionality in that. And when you're still dealing with this rhetoric in converse, in national conversations in 2018, you can't deny that our education system, obviously, like is still a very colonized, racist, you know, yes. reality. Yes. Good. Um, okay. So go where you were going. Okay. So we, we, this is like the foundation of a system that we are still sending kids to, that we are still... Um, expecting teachers to do the honorable thing because for whatever reason, black people have this, this honor system that we hold dear. My word is my bond, right? So that's one way of saying it. But then another way of saying it is, and I, and I'm, I will put money on this, that every black person has heard this. All you have in this life is your word. That's and it. If you renege on your word, you, you don't have nothing else. 
you will go to your grave with your word and people will remember you for your word. So we have this honor system that, that says, okay, you say as a teacher, you are going to educate my child. And so I am sending my child to you for the expressed intent of you educating my child, right? But the thing is, is that we're still sending them to a system that has not changed from the very, from, from its very construction. Uh-huh. And that is dangerous. Um, and because black parents know that this is dangerous, um, we are instilling in our kids a separate kind of education yeah. to bolster them. So when you tell your nephews, if you really want to do this, you run. You don't let yeah. nobody beat you to this field. You own this. This belongs to you. Uh-huh. When we do those things, what we're doing is we're creating tools within them so that when I'm gone, you're still running this field. Yes. So that when, when you go into these classrooms, you're going to question this history book, which, side note, all history books, K-12, lie. Um, and Lowen is the person who, who actually who found that out. But when you go in there, you can stop and say, nah, my people didn't come here as indentured servants. Right, right, right. Like, uh-huh. Two of them, but not the, the whole lot of them. Mm-hmm. Then they can challenge these systems. The problem is, is that in challenging the system, right, then it upsets the balance because now what you're doing is you're training your child to be a decolonizer. Uh-huh. And let me be honest with you, when my professor stopped me and was like, ah, your people have been doing this, part of it is I have been trained in this same system. Yes. And so there is a part of me that had to like, really come slap front up face with my own history. That's good. And really understand that, yo, wait a minute. The stuff that I'm doing is not, it's not new. Yeah. It's not new. The ideas I have aren't new. Um, it really reminds me of when we give Alice Walker's um, description of a womanist. That's it. <laughs> you about to say my favorite part and I'm going to start crying. When she's like, Nah, honey, you wouldn't be the first one doing this. You wouldn't be the first. No, and so first, that's it. That I literally, I just wrote down the word womanism because I was gonna say that's womanist word. It's that mom, I'm going to Canada and I'm taking several other slaves Mm -hmm. with me, and the mama says to the daughter, "You wouldn't be the first. And it's and it's that. But this these kinds of conversations, I think, are so important because it gives us language for the revelation or it gives us language to have the revelation because whoever whoever's listening to this um i i i know that we have a you know predominantly black woman centered audience but there are have been in the past you know several months a large um a larger group of white women um that have found you know black girl mixtape to be impactful and they've learned are learning in this space and um and so, so with that, I think that it's even important for white women to have their minds, de- it's especially important for white women to have their minds decolonized because when you come into um, a classroom and even with your own children and you have this exceptional, like this, like there is a, an exceptionality that you feel like you and your children have. And whether you acknowledge that or not, that is ultimately because, oh, I feel sorry for little Johnny. He didn't, his mom didn't come, 
Yes. So, yeah, like, so there's an exceptionality with that. And so you need to have your mind decolonized because you don't realize that little Johnny lives at home with his mom, his aunt, his grandma, his grandfather, and they actually taught him four different languages, right? Like, mm -hmm. so he might not, they might not have been at this workshop tonight, but Johnny mm -hmm. knew that and or Johnny had access to that. And that's what I hear you saying about like, what is this education versus schooling? And yes. I am grateful for this because it actually gives me more language for my own um, familial experience, right? Like my nephews are growing up around me and, and have always, you know, been growing up in this very, um, like everybody in the same space or, you know, two miles yep. away from each other kind of experience. And, um, and, what, and what this educational experience is for them is drastically different from my friend Susan and her children and what they're Absolutely. getting, you know, so that's good. <laughs> okay. Keep going to where you wanted to go. <laughs> So absolutely. So that brings me to like, really, um, I'm actually going to jump over some things. So we get to the end of slavery, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reconstruction. And oh my gosh, when I was doing my research, so I'm, I'm still telling a story, right? Well, I'm doing my research and I'm like, hold on, hold on. Like we have been actively, even before the end of slavery, passing on nuggets night mm -hmm. schools. If, if, if I learn to read, you learn to read. And yes. we do it in secret. We are p actively passing on coded language, right? So wade in the water, um, braiding maps into our braids of plantations for escape, um, teaching, teaching our children how to read the environment, teaching our children how to watch, pray, be aware, and take action, all of these are, they're not new concepts. They're not born here in America, but these, these come from another plane. It's, it's beyond just the, the oppression and the, and the slavery. And I'll say this, part of decolonizing my mind was stepping away from this concept of my beginnings did not begin in slavery. Mm -hmm. Part of my training as, um, a once youth pastor was my, my purpose in life was intentional. My creation was intentional. Mm -hmm. So I can't just start my existence in my oppression, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of schools um, are thinking about. So yeah, we'll have um, black history month, but we won't talk about while we're sitting in calculus, how these, how these concepts actually come from commit. We won't talk about our strong history of Greek philosophy. What Greek philosophy is really African philosophy. African philosophy, yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't make these connections, but we, we also won't talk about how Wakanda is really an actual thing that happened, but is now transposed onto film, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're happy about the film and it is great. It is absolutely great. But these things have been happening. And so when I really started to confront my own history, really digging into what this means, what, what does the passage of education mean? What I found is, is that slavery didn't stop nothing. Oppression didn't stop nothing. We mm -hmm. were still doing these things. So even after we get out of slavery, we're like, okay, you don't want to educate us? That's fine. We will take the one person who can read and mm -hmm. build a black girl, black girl mixtape institute. Only mm -hmm. we called them 
um, contraband camps yeah. at this point. And so whoever has the knowledge will then share that knowledge with everyone else. Oh, you want to learn how to read? Yep. Mm -hmm. Come on, come on to the tree. You're going to read. Oh, you want to learn how to navigate this system through script? Absolutely. Come on. And so what I have, then you have. Um, and so a lot of historians will say, well, it, it only lasted so much. See, what you have to know about Black women is that we have always wrote our story, mm -hmm. autobiography, as mm -hmm. a way to, one, give ourselves a voice so we're not subsumed under, like, people of color or slavery. Yeah. But we have always wrote our way out. Mm -hmm. We have wrote our freedom. And we have always wrote to have, uh, we've always written to have a, a voice, a voice that was either, um, and I love y'all, but like kind of subsumed under black men or mm -hmm. subsumed under women. Mm -hmm. um, and so because we're doing this, we then pass these tools on to our children, right? And so, you know, we can skip down to the 50s when, you know, we really start seeing more government interaction in schools. And what we found out was that parent involvement was actually based on the 1950s stay home white mother in middle class America mm -hmm. who did not work and who could make cookies, who could show mm -hmm. up, who could go and make copies, but gave no credence to other, other ways that um, families were structured. So you talk about the multi-generational home and the experiences that your nephews have mm -hmm. that are so much richer than the individualized nuclear family mm -hmm. um, that has become the standard in this country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I say that because even black women who aren't married are like, oh my God, I don't have a husband, I don't have kids, mm -hmm. what am I gonna do? Girl, you're going to be fine. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. and, it, and we need to stop saying that this multi-generational home has less credence than the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in a multi-generational home. It was mm -hmm. my mother, my grandmother, my uncles, who really kind of shaped that experience. It was my mother who, who, who dropped out of high school, mm -hmm. went back, got her GED, who continuously shoved books in our faces, who continuously made us listen and analyze music. Mm -hmm. Now, she didn't use these words. What she said is, yes. what do you think those lyrics are saying? Yeah. What do you think? Um, tell me when you say, ah, push it by salt and pepper, uh -huh. what exactly are they saying? And I was uh -huh. like, uh, I don't know. I just uh -huh. like the beat. And she was like, no, you don't get to just like the beat. I need you to know what you're saying. I need Trina, you to understand. I, I just need to say this because I think sometimes people don't realize how much, how very similar our Black experiences really are. Now, we're from two different parts mm -hmm. of the world and, and a couple years apart. And literally growing up, my mother used to say, like we, especially with rap music, if you can know all those words, then you can get your grades, then you can, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it wasn't even, even, even with the, the music that was vulgar, despite the fact that I grew up in a very um, strict Christian, you know, upbringing, my mom would just kind of side eye us and be like, okay, let me see what your grades talking about when you right. the report cards come home. And so I'm just wanting to, um, oh, I want so much conversation about this, but I'm wanting to point those kinds of things out because I feel like those, um, as we realize like our cultural, like our culture and our sameness, it's important then to be able to take that and connect it and relate it back to where it really came from. Because we'll, you'll yes. literally, because of the way that 
um, American culture or this society is set up. We have such individualized ideas mm -hmm. about like your family is some unique, you know, that was just your family having that experience. And that literally is not the case. So I'm asking the question then about like black girl rituals, for example, like black girl hand games, because that is very mm -hmm. I've written about this, you know, that this came from, you know, really black girls during slavery. Um, they had to be somewhere playing, but they still had to be looking busy. So using, you know, hand claps and th this kind of stumping or whatever to keep the children engaged enough that they weren't off somewhere being raped or killed or hurt or harmed because they weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and so we don't even realize how like that mm -hmm. kind of stuff translates into classroom management. Because that is... A what you just said was classroom management. We don't, yeah. we don't call it classroom management, but how are these kids engaged? How are, you know, I think this is one of the, the biggest um, issues that I had with my research, which was because my mind had not been decolonized yet, because mm -hmm. I was still like, well, where did, did they come to the schools? Did they, mm -hmm. did they do any of this stuff? that I wasn't seeing that knowledge is transferable. So even, <laughs> even my mom who was like, all right, now you can wrap some mixolocks, baby got back, but you yeah. better know, like these grades better come home. What she's saying is the skills that you use here, yeah, can yeah. then be applied here. Yeah. So yeah. I remember her saying, "Oh, you got time to do X, Y, and Z, and this book report ain't done. Your mm -hmm. chores aren't done. Ah, something's going on here. You, you, you can't be finicky like this. So even." just applying those parents, black parents have already been using these strategies. And let me just say this, I don't care if your, your, your child has a processing issue. I don't care if they are coded as needing um, different learning services because they are coded as exceptional or special ed. Black parents have been using strategies that they are having to go into schools and then teach teachers on how to use them. Black, black women in particular have, you know, when I was in K-12 schools, black mamas would come find me and she would say to me, I'm leaving my kids here. If something goes off, you have permission to check her. Just keep me in the loop. Uh -huh. Like these mothering circles that we talk about. So your nephews in particular have several mothers yeah. in the home. Uh -huh. So even though the primary mom or the birth mom is not there, I still got auntie and auntie don't play. Mm -hmm. There is a common thread here. And these like learning communities um, that we're, we're talking about here, when we're talking about these kind of like, uh, for lack of a better word, African indigenous ways of knowing, uh -huh. not new. They aren't new. What it is is white supremacy has never, has never, made it a priority for black teachers or I'm sorry for white teachers specifically white women to have to sit down and know what goes on in a black home yeah other than what I can filter through my bias uh -huh. right so oh my gosh he he came to school and he doesn't have a pencil and he's late well depending on what child you're talking about did this child have to get his brothers and sisters ready for school? Uh -huh. Did this child have to catch two buses to get here? And the one thing he forgot was a pencil. Uh -huh. So you are saying he is not valuing, he or she is not valuing education because they don't come with the pencil, 
but you haven't thought for a second, you haven't even thought to engage, does the student know what's going on? Do, do they have a concept? Have you asked them about these things? And so I think even, even when we look at it from that angle, it's really like, you know, and if you are a white woman or if you are a teacher who happens to be white and you've never had this conversation before, before we start applying labels, um, they're not focused or they, they just don't seem prepared uh-huh. or I think he needs counseling. Uh-huh. Before you start applying labels, how about you sit down and ask a parent, like, what do you guys do in your home? Like, is, what's he reading? Does he cook? You know, uh-huh. these, are, these are ways that we, we are really experiential teachers as yeah. parents, especially black parents. Come here, let me show you how to make this cornbread. Uh-huh. That's a math calculation. It, uh-huh. it's, a, it's algebra. <laughs> two parts of this, 2x plus 5 equals y, right? Where the y happens to be cornbread and not a dot on a, um, on a graph. So really, like, p- black parents have been doing this. They have been engaged in this way. Um, but I don't think K-12 has ever gone outside of this strict, rigid system that they have to actually engage uh-huh. in a conversation about what does this look like? Because quite honestly, we just assume kids show up to kindergarten and they're ready to learn. Yeah. Who was the first teacher before they got here? Mm-hmm. And who continues to be the first teacher? Yeah, that's good. That, that even makes me think about like, as we move to being more technology centered, even with these children, the ways that my sister receives information about the kids is she might get a text message during, you know, at the end of the school day or something like that. And so this assumption, because going back to the model that you said, parents' engagement is centered around this, uh, the, 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 the root of that was white mothers uh, who, who didn't have jobs. So if you have this, okay, we're gonna send mass, we're gonna send text messages. This is the way that we're gonna do it. But you have a mom, my mother, my sister, who is a single mom working from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Then, and you send a text message and because she is the, one of the only parents that didn't reply immediately, you make the assumption that there's not parental engagement rather than she's at work. She can't text you back. You Mm -hmm. very well hear back from her tomorrow or she may have to send a note through the child tomorrow, right? So this kind of thing. I, I, I love this so much and we, we gotta go because we over my time, but Ooh, I love sorry. this. I'm, I'm, I am going to, I will definitely invite you back. I'm going to ask you for some favors when we get off this uh, recording. So just Black Girl Mixtape podcast listeners know that we will be hearing more from the, uh, the, uh, the illustrious Dr. Trey Allen very, very soon. If she tells me yes, she gonna tell me yes because she my sister. Absolutely. And um. But I, I, this is just so good. I feel like, um, you know, what, what I have been saying is I, I think that these, these episodes on this podcast are important because they give language for us to be able to either articulate what it is that we've been trying to figure out how to articulate like this experience and, or it gives us language and a revelation of like, that's exactly what that is. And so I'm so grateful for so much of what you said, because I feel like, and this talking about decolonizing education 
this specific emphasis on black parent engagement and that may seem so um so specific like so narrow so narrowed down but the reality is that impacts all of us and in decolonizing we talk about decolonization that isn't just for us to be decolonizing our minds we need our white sister and brother and two and, and non-black sister and brother yep. to do the work of decolonizing them their minds as well and so yeah i appreciate this conversation so much okay what before we leave what is what do you feel like we didn't get to get to that you just really want people to know and also tell people how they can stay in touch with you so you can follow me on Instagram at JustTria, um, and I promised Ebony Janice that I would actually be putting my stuff on Instagram. Um, also, I just want to really quickly say, if you have not done your clarity call with her, please do witness. Um, so that's how you can reach me. Um, you can also find me um, on Twitter, but not as much, but I'm getting better at T, the letter T, the number two, my last name, which is Alan. Um, I think the one thing that I just want to say is that parents, you are doing this work. And if you need clarity in trying to figure out how to give voice or language to this, please hit me up on Instagram. Um, and I think the other thing for, sorry, that's my phone somewhere, for white educators, don't be so quick to assume. So if you're not following accounts that will kind of help inform your practice, please make sure you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl Mixtape podcast. The work of Black Girl Mixtape can continue with the support of listeners like you. Visit BlackGirlMixtape.com and choose the donate page to support our lecture series tour. Or if you're a non-Black person and you recognize that you learn for free in the space with Black women on a regular basis, choose the voluntary reparations option and subscribe to give on an ongoing basis. Listen to Black women, trust Black women, protect Black women, elect Black women, support Black women. Until next time.